Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of ending slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC, Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with the people who are driving change in our community. I'm excited for my guest today. We'll introduce in a second, uh, a returning guest, I might add, second time, second time on the show. But specifically on Follow the Money, we really try to pull back the curtain and illuminate some of the, and add some transparency to what is the process of raising funds, either from an investor's perspective or from an investee's perspective. We often get people that have just gone through it or they've just closed around. Today, I'm excited to have, like I said, returning guest, Dennis Combites on the show, who's in the middle of it, in the weeds of it, we'll find out in a minute, of of raising um, raising some funds for his latest project, which we did talk about when we met, probably, I don't know, time is no time, COVID creates, <laughs> creates reality probably two years ago, but Dennis, you um, run Easy Robot, which I'm not going to even pretend to describe. I'm going to turn it over to you. So welcome back to the show, my friend. And how are you this morning? Uh, really good. Really good. Pleasure to be here, Tyler. Thanks. Awesome, man. I always enjoy our conversations. And uh, we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. And, you, yeah, and I love the show because I, I get to meet people and find out things I knew nothing about 10 minutes earlier. So that's, that's why I do it, or so many reasons why I do it. But let's start. Let's jump in the, let's jump in the elevator. Let's not, let's not leave the guests uh, hanging. Tell, what, is, what is an Easy Robot? <laughs> So Easy Robot is a incredibly powerful uh, robotics platform for education and DIY roboticists, and it's you know it's a it's a really important product because uh, within the education space we can get you know our schools that I guess have, have have implemented our product. I'll give you real stats instead of what you know what we can do. Uh, our real stats, our schools that have brought it in have seen enrollment in robotics and computer science courses increase by 10x. And when you understand the impact that robotics and AI and automation is having on the workforce, it's critically important we get more children learning these technologies, more adults learning these technologies as well. Uh, so we're in a really great place. We're in a market that is just starting to explode, and we have a product that is Head and shoulders, best in the world. I love it. Well, I feel like you've—I feel like you've given that. I feel like you've been in that elevator before. Uh, not, not, not the first time. <laughs> Something that's yeah. that's about to explode. 
the, the, the need for education in this area, the realities of the job, because, you know, going back to our original episode, you really talked about like, hey, let's run this out five or 10 years. If you're not getting this training now at a basic level, your literacy around robotics. And, and what I loved what you said to me is like, listen, we're not trying to make everyone a robotics engineer, but literacy and understanding of this will be your coworker, quote unquote, in the future and how we're kind of setting ourselves up. When you say like set up to explode, is that reality starting to become more aware in the school system or it's just the prevalence of robotics in our day-to-day world or both? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really both. So, you know, we've been doing this for, or I've been doing this for close to 10 years at this mm-hmm. point. And the first nine years, it was all bottom-up sales, okay. uh, selling to an individual school, you know, doing uh, after-school programs, summer camps, schools bringing us into teach residencies, but it was all one-offs. And uh, last fall, we had our first school district sale. It was a 40-school 40, 40 district. Nice. Uh, we're in conversations with other districts now. So I wouldn't say that the marketplace is totally on fire yet, but there's a tangible pivot or increase from pre-COVID in terms of people's awareness of needing this education. And, you know, some interesting things have happened for me over the last couple of years where, you know, I speak at education conferences and tech conferences all the time around the world. I'm in Dubai a couple of times this fall, Japan. And just earlier this week, I was in a, I was at a, a mining exploration conference in Calgary called Redefining Electrical Metals. And doing a presentation on robotics and AI so companies in that industry can understand what's coming and, and, and prepare themselves. This isn't just about children in primary school or middle school or high school or university. This is really something everybody needs to be aware of. So I, you know, I was talking to one person and I, I detailed some of these changes that are happening. And these, you know, I, obviously from our previous podcast, you know, these changes I believe are unlike anything we've seen before. So I detailed it to this one person, and his response was really interesting to me. He didn't dispute anything that I said, but his comment was, you know, I'll bet you it's going to be slower. I love, I love to bet, was, was basically the gist of what he gave back to me. And, and, you know, and I'm like, you want to put some juice on this. Okay, right. But, but the interesting thing was, it, you know, my response there was, you're already betting your company. You're already betting your children's future, throwing, you know, 50 or 100 bucks on this ain't going to make a difference. (laughs) If you're not aware of what's coming, you're assuming it's not coming. And if and when it does and it catches you unaware, then you're going to be behind the eight ball. So the, you know, the the implications for people are tremendous. And this goes for investors, goes for the entrepreneurs that might be listening or the casual people that are off in their world just listening as they're at work. This technology is going to redefine all industries virtually simultaneously. It's going to transform a huge number of careers. The World Economic Forum is forecasting 1 billion people needing retraining by 2030. A billion is a pretty big number, right? And, and, and so, 2030 is not that far away. <laughs> 2030 is not that's, that that's far a, away. That's a crucible right there you just created. <laughs> <laughs> so really, you know, what, where we sit is in an incredible place because... 99% of the people listening to this podcast and you know and a, a huge percentage of kids aren't interested in learning robotics they don't want to learn computer science to a deep level and again you know we're not concerned initially about getting everybody and turning them into robotics or mm-hmm. you know uh, roboticists or programmers but everybody needs to have that literacy and everybody should really be starting to take steps to understand how this technology has the potential to impact their careers and their industry 
both in a very positive way and potentially in a disruptive way. And your model and where you've chosen to play is go to the source and educate and, and create interest and excitement and enthusiasm at a, young, at a younger age, where often the impact can be greater on the long term and certainly the cost is less than retooling uh, myself at 40x years old versus, you know, a 10 years, someone, I was talking to someone the, the other day just about emotional and social learning. And they said, you know, retraining your 50, your 45 year old engineer on emotional social learning is really expensive and time consuming, but doing it with a six year old, it costs like 10 bucks. I just love, I love the context in which he presented it. That costs like nothing, that costs nothing. <laughs> Basically in the context yeah. of things, it's the intent, the intent to do it. So talk to us a little bit about your business. Obviously you've been, you said bottom up, you've been working with individual schools or how I understood that. And now moving a little bit more at scale, obviously on a global platform. So you now as a business owner, um, and I, I can't wait to the 10 year overnight success stories where it's like, Oh my God, overnight success. You're like, I've been doing this for, I heard the 10 years loud and clear. What was the decision for you as a business owner to say, okay, we're going to raise some money. We're going to take this thing and, you know, put a little gas on the fire or whatever metaphor you want to use here. We're going to accelerate it. We need some external funding and we're going to go out, we're going to go out and look for it. So just talk to us a little bit about even the decision to do that. And then let's get into the process of how the raise has been, how's it going. And then that's the real nuts and bolts of it. Okay. So, yeah, so, um, I've been in the industry for 10 years. I've been CEO of Easy Robot for three years. Um, 2019, we had a slightly profitable year. Awesome, right? That's that's what you want, yep. right? That's that's the first. That's the first. That's, that's the first of there. what could hopefully be a trend. Yeah, I hear you. But I, I like yeah, the word slightly and, profitable. <laughs> let's not well, get carried it, away. It was, let's it, not get carried away. Yeah, it was a five-digit profit, so there's nothing. Yep. There's nothing super exciting there. But it's uh, you know, it was still it's still indicative of okay, you've got you've got some legs under you. Things are moving along pretty good, uh, and then uh, the company. We've got the best product in the world, but a lot of people don't know that the product exists. So we had a huge marketing challenge, right? So we went out and did three, four months on the road, almost straight, uh, at the you know at the at the largest education conferences we could find and the most important ones between December 20, uh, 2019 and March twenty twenty. And you know where this is going. <laughs> I do. <laughs> After three I do. months or four months of being on the road. Uh, the second last day that we were scheduled to be on the road, uh, the the governor of Maryland declared a state of emergency over COVID. Borders closed. Business went uh, tight. We'll put it that way. Uh, so you know what what the previous six years in the industry had taught me was we spend money in the in the winter. We have a harvest in the spring and then a second harvest in the fall. So COVID dried up our harvest. So we you know, pushed along through through COVID, um, doing the best that we could. We did okay, lost a little bit of money. The company um, on paper looked to be in a worse position. You know, in truth, it was in a much better position because we're ranking really well on Google. Like if you search the term robot, we're first page out of 2 billion results. So we fixed the supply chain stuff and, you know, and our manufacturing process. We did a lot of really great things during COVID. But they're not things that hit the balance sheet right. or the income yep. statement because those things just weren't there for us. Yeah, they're all they're all so, to, yeah they're all preparing for the, the the successful future. But you're right, they don't show up or they slightly shift you in another direction. We'll call that the investment the investment phase, the retrenching phase. <laughs> <laughs> right and right and so you know we we knew that we were going to have this um, you know we knew that eventually we'll come out of COVID. Schools will stop being virtual. They'll come back and. And the need for robotics and AI literacy doesn't go away. That only increases. So we knew the marketplace would return to us. Uh, so we were prepping for that. And then it started to at the end of 2020. 
Now, I didn't anticipate going back out to market to raise capital. I didn't think we'd need to because we anticipated from our marketing that we were doing in 2019, 2020, you know, rapid growth. And, and the forecasts do show rapid growth for us still. Um, and so we thought we were going to be in a great shape, but then, you know, capital started getting tighter. And we get to the fall, and we know that we need to go out and raise capital, but we're just coming off what could only be considered as two very down years, right? So for us, the timing was, you know, we knew we needed to do it, but we were trying to wait till the market recovered enough that we would have a positive story. And so, you know, the, then we got our first district sale, which is an incredibly positive thing for us and, and really could be indicative of a paradigm shift. But you don't know if it's that, you know, that first little, was it a one-off or is it an early adopter or is it the start of the, tr the trend? Yeah. And we know that it's we know that the trend is coming. You know, it's interesting for me when I just a quick parallel to the to the mining conference and exploration conference I was at. I was talking to a lot of people that do exploration, and it's you know, dig a hole. Did we get lucky? Dig a hole. Did we get lucky? It's obviously more scientific than that. But, no, no, I, I get it. We, I live in, we live in a province where we drill holes in the ground and hope that we knew that yeah. we that we forecasted <laughs> what was down there accurately. Yes, I get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So 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 their their exploration is where. Is this the right place to dig? Is this the right place to dig? Our exploration that we were doing, and even being at the mining conference kind of qualifies as this for me, our exploration is when. You know, we know that the market is coming. Is, it, is the market here now? Is the market going to be six months or one year? We know the market is getting stronger for us. So we were kind of holding the line through COVID, uh, keeping everything nice and tight and, and fixing our internal processes. We're in a good position to take off. And then we started to go through the process of raising capital you know, and I mean, the process is, you know, as you know, and your listeners know, several months just getting ready, right? Getting the story right, getting yeah, the yeah. financials right, getting everything, everything <laughs> dialed in. And so we had hoped that we would be ready to raise in May because raising in the spring is way better than launching in the summer. July um, and August can be tough months to, to get decision yeah. <laughs> makers on the other end of the phone, as we all know in business. It, it's kind of summer yeah. is business winter, but that's another. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so curious over the oh, up to oh, up ahead. to that point, was it all just funding through cash flow and some maybe some debt funding, like versus you know moving to more of an equity funding model where you're get, letting people have a piece of of, of the future success versus just <laughs> debt repayment? It was a little bit of that, yeah. I you know I was supporting the company as all entrepreneurs yeah, do, of course, and you know. mm -hmm. the credit cards yeah, and long, yeah, credit cards and long hours. That story. <laughs> yeah, so we, you know it was interesting to be back in a bootstrapping mode really is what it came down to, right? So a, a little bit of debt financing, a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I guess not really any equity. I guess it was all debt because I, I was putting money into the company. Yeah. And, and this was a movie. If this so, was a movie, is this, is it, if this was a, a, a Disney movie, this is you in a van with a bunch of robots, right? Just just sitting there going, <laughs> what's going to happen? The robots are like, don't worry, Dennis, it's okay. We, we got this. We're just, sorry, I've, that was a weird tangent, but I was like, this feels like a theme. I think it's a Disney film. I'm not sure. So you're at that point, you've now, you didn't launch in May or you, I know you and I chatted throughout the course of the summer as you were getting this up and rolling. So you're fairly early days with kind of the going to market side of it. Uh, friends, family, yeah. uh, institutional investors, private, you know, early stage pre-seed people, who have you been talking to? And well, who have you been talking to? Who have you been trying to talk to? Who's answering the phone? Who's not answering the phone? I guess a little bit, I, I love the nuts and bolts of you being in it right now. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you, you always make your best guess at things at the beginning. And so what we know about our company is we don't fit beautifully into any bucket, right? We're a tech company 
that has a significant service opportunity working in the education space with big social implications. But you know, a tech company might come along and go, oh, we invest in SIS companies. Are you SIS? No, not interested. Right? So we, 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 we know that we are going to hit that type of um, scenario. So we're looking for the right type of investor is, is really kind of the mindset that we have. But we also knew going into this that we were coming off of a couple of down years. And so we didn't want to get beaten up too badly on our valuation. And you know, we wanted to, we wanted to de this is gonna sound maybe a little crazy, de-risk the investment for VCs and angels. So we decided the right way to go about this was to start with a crowdfunding campaign. And now we've got, you know, we're a company that's been around for a long time. We're in 170 countries. We've got tens of thousands of people that have used the platform globally. So we've got a really strong community. And, and our community had supported the company and been really excited about the growth of the company over the first decade. So we kind of thought it'd be interesting to give our community a chance to share in our journey and our future. So we thought we'd go down the crowdfunding route. At least, you know, now I anticipate uh, that we will need to bring in angels and VCs, and we'll want to because we want we want some of the benefits that we can get from the right angels or the right VCs right relationships, as well. the right connections, connections, yeah, hundred percent connections, education, more, you know, training, more, more, more than the money, right? More than the dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we know that we know that we're going to want those relationships as well, and but we also know that a lot of the people that use our products are in the education space. They're our clients, right? We know that they're in the DIY space. They're influencers. They're our clients, and so the opportunity to kind of crowdfund that and, and have our supporters become, you know, uh, invested supporters, I guess, you know, both financially and psychologically to become more invested. We figured that that was a good scenario. So we decided we would go that route. And, and ultimately, with the expectation that as we crowdfunded in Canada, we'd hit somewhere between most likely two to $300,000 of crowdfunding. And, uh, then you know we also expect that we'll see some angels and VCs come in. I can talk about those in a second here. So uh, you know May passes, June passes, and we're like, uh, now we're into the we're into the dredges of summer, right? <laughs> and so we you know we debated whether or not we should just hold off till September or whether we should launch in the summer. You know when you're doing a crowdfunding campaign, you want that initial huge thrust on day one, ten percent, right? So everybody's excited about it. Everybody goes, wow, this has really taken off. We'll jump in. But I, I, I thought that a good process for me, uh, because I knew that I wasn't going to be talking to a lot of angels and VCs in the summer, a good process might be for me to actually do the launch in July so that I could start having conversations. So when September came around, I'd be already polished, right? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to not answer those first few questions or whatnot, you know? So try to get myself into a little bit of trouble and then figure out, do I have all the information that I'm going to need? Right, you always try to prep beforehand, but you know, it, it, there's always angles and questions you don't anticipate. So we had spent a few months getting our paperwork and stuff ready. We, go, we launched with crowdfunding. And the first three things that happened to me are, we've got an investor out of Quebec that's interested. Okay, well, we don't have French paperwork. We got an investor out of the U.S., an accredited investor that's interested. Okay, we don't have that paperwork. <laughs> we've, we've got somebody that's interested in putting in a pretty good amount of money out of their RRSP. Well, we're not RRSP eligible yet. So one of the really cool things that we were able to do is over the summer, 
adjust those deficiencies and correct those deficiencies. So over the summer, you know, things were pretty slow to come in. We knew they would be. We didn't do a whole lot of pushing um, until really end of August, first week of September, and, and now things are picking up. Uh, in terms of crowdfunding, we're at about 225 at this point. Um, got another 30, 40,000 that we know is coming in over the next week, 10 days. Um, so that's going to put us kind of in the range of that 250 to 300,000 we thought we'd pull off of the crowdfunding table. And just to be clear, are and you using so, like a Kickstarter? Yep. Or are you like, are you using like, when I think crowdfunding, that's my go-to in my mind. They did a good job of kind of owning yep. that space when they first kind of, that space was a thing to worth to, to be talked about. Is that, are you using a platform like that? Is it as cut and dried as when I hear crowdfunding? That's what I think of? Yeah, it's, it's similar to that. We're using a platform called Equivesto. So it's equivesto.com and um, and they're, you know, they were going through a growth phase as well. So when we started, people could invest from uh, Ontario, BC, Alberta, and Nova Scotia or New Brunswick. But they've now got their compliance, so now they're an exempt market dealer across the whole country. So basically anybody in Canada that's listening to the podcast and goes, hey, this sounds really exciting, um, has the opportunity to get in and invest with us without knowing the founder, you know, with the fr- without it being a friends yep. and family yeah, through the platform. Okay, right on. I've, I'm gonna, I, and I, I have become aware of that platform through you. And I've, yeah, that's, I, I, that's half the part of the show is like getting stuff on people's radar. Oh, I never heard of that. Google, click, 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 go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and so people become actual, I mean, they become investors the same way as if you knew me personally and you, we did a private investment. So they become Class C shareholders. Uh, Does that platform do anything and, to, around your awareness or are they simply there to catch the leads or the opportunities or the interested parties once they become aware of it through either, you, you know, your social media, your networking, your, your, your escapades, let's call it, I don't know if that's the right word to use, getting it out there in the world. Like how, how do people find out about this? Is it typically through you or are there other channels where it's getting promoted or advertised or, you know, awareness is being created? Well, so certainly the initial thrust comes from the company or the or the founders and the directors in the company, and and that's where a good portion of the initial initial push comes. But you know, Equivesto does have people that have invested through the platform that are looking for private companies that are doing crowdfunding, so they do have a you know a following of their they own. They have their own community. Okay, right on. Yeah. And, cool. Um, so that you're, yeah, they, so you're at the tail end, you're 80, 90% in terms of where you want to be uh, on that platform. Uh, and is it, has there been momentum? Like has, did the August, September strategy kind of work out? I, I get, I love the finding out what you don't know, cause you're going to find some things and fixing them. I get that and doing that. It's like, you know, how do you, what is it? What's the old joke? If you wait, if you wait till you're comfortable to go to market, you waited too long or that, that old start, startup founder joke, <laughs> it should make you a bit uncomfortable or, or else you're, 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 you're squirreling yeah. away in your basement for too long. <laughs> Right. And yeah, so it, it, I would say it played out pretty much as we expected it would. And so, you know, we're still, the, the crowdfunding is still open for people that are interested in getting in. Um, it will, you know, close and then we may go, okay, let's go do another one. Or we may go, okay, let's go see what the VCs are interested in and the angels. And I'm starting to go down that path now. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a pivot happening. We're still pushing on the, on the crowdfunding and we're, probably open one up in the U.S. as well, because we'd like to, again, extend the opportunity to our U.S. users and, and, and clients. And I mean, a really great story about that and, and the benefit of using the crowdfund and, and because we have customers and, and yeah. users, right? We're a known product. Um, we've got a user that is 
uh, a professor at a university in the U.S. And so he's very interested, so he's invested. And he has a lot of knowledge about the opportunities that would be before us and the process for getting into universities. Now, we've done sales to universities, but we don't have a, a high level of expertise in-house in that area. So what the crowdfund did for us is it, it, it leverages the knowledge and impact of our community, right? So, you know, we're actually, this person is, you know, we, we've had extensive conversations. This person is going to now be sitting on our board of advisors. And as we start pushing into the university space, we'll be able to provide us with some guidance and, and help really short circuit that, that sales cycle for us and that growth cycle to get into that market and understand it deeply and, and, and be able to have success. So that, that was like a real advantage for us. And we want to make sure that we're, that we're hitting all of our customers and, and, you know, and users and friends in the U.S. and giving them that opportunity as well. But we also know that there's huge advantage to working with VCs. And, and now we're trying to balance the line of, oh, how does your cap table look? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if you have a, a whole bunch of people on your cap table that came in for $1,000, which is the minimum for our investment, then, you know, if we're sitting there with 300 investors, then the VCs are going to be going like, hmm, right? So, so now we have to kind of walk that line. But really what I believe is there's no beautiful wart-free companies, <laughs> right? Every, every company, every company's got them, right? And for us, you know, one of our big challenges was we're coming off a couple of down years. And I'm like, okay, well, if we can leverage the people that know we have an incredible product, and know the impact that we have. Let's give those people a chance to support us. And now all of a sudden, you know, the, the company's position looks very different from an investor, from an angel or a VC perspective, right? And the fact that we've raised this much money from our community is, I think, pretty indicative of an invested community, right? People that understand the value. It's, it's additional market valuation. So to me, and, and you know, certainly, Tyler, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in raising capital, but I really think it, you're, you're always balancing A versus B versus C, right? And as one goes up, the second one becomes a little bit more challenging, right? And so we're starting to have conversations with VCs and angels, which are, um, you know, we're very early in that part of the process. I would say it's going okay so far. We're getting some meetings. Um, I'm, I'm learning from that process as well, because that's obviously different than the crowdfunding we're talking about tangibly more sophisticated investors. I mean, some of the people that are in crowdfunding are very sophisticated as well. But, you know, just the VCs are looking for something different. So what we're doing when we're going out looking for VCs is we're trying to find people that understand the education space, right? But the, the, the impact that Easy Robot has on humanity is tremendous. So we're a good fit for social investors, right? Where, you know, the, the projected return, it looks outstanding, the, uh, the impact that we're having, we're transforming children's lives and giving them tangibly better futures. And, and the people that understand what's coming, again, we've done the previous podcast, we won't get into that here, but the people that understand what's coming recognize that Easy Robot is an important company in preparing our youth and really in preparing our adults and stuff. So would you say- you know, just, just... We can hit the social investors, the tech- yeah. Just yeah. to just to just to poke at that for a minute, like this, this is you know follow the money investing with purpose, and I'm curious if you're noticing and you're kind of speaking or you're speaking to it right now. So just to be pointed about the question, that sense of purpose and that sense of good for humanity 
do you find that, you know, and I guess you'll know more maybe when we talk six months from now, uh, like, yeah, yeah, that's great. I want to see the business model versus some of the earlier investors through the crowdfunding are like, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I appreciate the business model, but I'm really sold on the impact on humanity and I don't want to make one less or more valuable, but what they both have a little bit of a different story. And, you know, I've talked to lots of VCs and they're like, yeah, yeah, we love purpose, but we don't really care if the business model isn't sound. You can have the best purpose in the world. We're not interested. And I know a lot of people that invest with their heart. They're like, well, yeah, you know, I'm not an expert in business, but I really love what this company's doing. So I'm going to get involved. Like there is a very different set of drivers there or just the order of importance. Are you, do you anticipate that being kind of the shift from this type of investor to that type? Or has it always been part and parcel for you in terms of the story? Well, it, it, I guess, you know, for me personally, when I got into this, you know, 10 years ago, I got, I got really hooked on this because I started to understand the impact that robotics and AI was going to bring. And I started to talk to educators and, you know, overwhelmingly back then people didn't understand what was coming. Well, 10 years ago, it wasn't in the media every day or every or twice or 10 <laughs> times a day, like the impact of AI, machine learning, you know, the, 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 the massive um, impact on jobs and, you know, the left behind generations and all those terms that are, those yeah. are all relatively certainly new on my radar over the last couple of years. If, if even some of those, some of them are even last year. Yeah, so so I would say, you know, I'm but even going back a decade ago, I'm I'm pretty entrepreneurial minded as well. And I was like, okay, humanity needs this. It's an important thing to do. But this is like seeing the internet coming before anybody knew the internet was coming. And if you can yeah. so my attitude was if I can put myself in the middle of this industry and and grow with the industry, then when it arrives, I'll be right in the center. And I see that happening now with I'm asked to speak at education conferences or engineering conferences and those types of things. So, you know, the, the plan from 10 years ago is, is kind of proceeding a, according, according to, to what we expected. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the, you know, the interesting thing is the people that have invested thus far know that we understand the industry very well. They know the impact. They've seen it in their students' faces. They've seen it in their own lives. They know the product is what we say it is. We're not you know, we're not talking about some, hey, future technology, like if we do these things, we could have this. The people that have invested th thus far, they know that we are who we say we are. They know that our product does what we say it does. And they've seen the impact it has firsthand and it, the impact is off the charts. So most of the people we're talking to thus far are not purpose investors or not, you know, social impact investors, but that's a really nice a really nice feeling that they have. It's, it's, it's almost like it's the final cookie, right, type of a thing. Um, now, as we start to talk to VCs, there will be social impact VCs and stuff. And I'm pretty pragmatic when I'm looking at those types of investors because I recognize it still has to be a good investment. And, you know, a great, a great analogy for me is we had resellers, because that's our go-to-market plan, uh, we work with local value-added resellers that know the educators in Poland or Germany or whatever because we can hit the markets very quickly that way. But we've had people that were interested in becoming a reseller, and they would say to us things like, "You know, could I? I, I love what your robots do. Could I maybe become a you know a reseller and like maybe make ten percent?" And my response to those people is, "No, you can't. But you could make twenty or twenty-five percent." And they're really surprised that I would offer them more money, but I've been doing this for a long time. And I, I believe that things have a very natural feel and fit to them. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work for all parties, 
then there's no point in doing it. And from the perspective of the resellers, you know, I knew how easy or difficult it was going to be for them to close sales, what the time frames were going to be. And I knew if they were getting a 10% margin, they weren't going to stay invested long enough. So all that was going to happen was we'd waste their time and waste our time, right? So when I look at purpose-driven investment or you know, social impact investors, I know that the humanity aspect of what we do and the life-changing impact we have, and this is so large. I mean, this is a whole other podcast, but the, the impact that we have is enormous. And when people hear that, they're going to be excited about it, but it's still got to look like a great investment. And, and we, you know, we have all of the right things for it to be a great investment. We've got the customers. It's, you know, enrollment at the high school level in robotics right now is 3% of boys, 0.3% of girls. We're talking, you know, let's put some meat on those numbers. In a school of 2,000 kids, 1,000 boys, 1,000 girls, 30 boys and 3 girls are getting this literacy. 1,967 kids aren't. It's, and that's in schools that are teaching robotics and have these options. Many, many, many don't. So the marketplace for us is almost virgin territory, but we know that everybody's going to need it, right? It, it would be like knowing that the schools are going to need computers, but nobody has them. Or if they have computers, they've got computers that aren't doing the job properly. So we know that everybody's going to need to get the right product or the right type of product. We just happen to be that. So we're sitting... We're sitting with an incredible business opportunity in, you know, almost a virgin market, except that the market is validated because schools are doing this and we've got customers in 170 countries. So we've got a lot of the, the real big check marks already taken care of. And, you know, from the social impact investor, I, I'm excited about that type of investor because I think that they will be more open-minded about where the company is. Because, again, we don't fit in any particular basket. You know, we're not an SAS company, so an SAS tech company or tech VC is going to go, we understand SAS, we like to invest in that. We're not that, so they're not interested. Now, we're technology with a massive marketplace and opportunity in front of us, but we don't fit their niche. But with a social impact investor, we're definitively in their niche. And the other circumstances around how the company is organized and what we do and all of those things they produce a strong result. So that may be where we find our sweet spot, right? As opposed to as opposed to specifically tech investors or right, but it but it's but we're a you know we're a, a bit of a, a mixed bag. It's an incredible opportunity, but we need to we need to find the right type of partner. And so we're looking at ed tech VCs now as well, right? People that understand that portion of what we do. And that can be very tricky when you don't fit into that bucket because we're all we're all looking for shorthand. You know, I was talking to some VCs out of Toronto the other day and I said, you know, how many deals do you look at a year? They're like, oh, 300 to 350. You know, there's a shorthand there, <laughs> you know, and they invest in maybe three <laughs> to five, three to 10, like 10 would be a big year for us. You know, like that perspective, like there's companies that are getting eliminated just because like, mm, I don't really get it next. You know, like to your point, it moves super fast and, you know, and that's one example. Yeah. And I do love like, you know, the, the even marking, if you can't be number one in the category, redefine the category. It's a great fun catchphrase, but it's really, really hard to do. <laughs> and it's often very expensive and very time consuming. So uh, I'm curious just from, you know, the nature of we, we, you and I are in Alberta. I'm thinking you're, we're both here right now. Local investment, or you know, you you participate on the global stage. So, and you even talked about in the U.S. and the crowdfunding being people that are involved or know of your program uh, all over the world. Have you had any conversation with local investors? I'm always curious to pull on the local thread a little bit. And you know, is that relevant? Yeah. And w what have you been met with with any of your you know quote unquote local Western Canada? We'll just we'll say local being Western Canada for the sake of it for this conversation. Perfect. Mm -hmm. 
Perfect. Okay, so we've had we've had three conversations in Western Canada, um, and uh, they've been three pretty different conversations. So, I mean, Easy Robot, you know, ten year old. Um, <laughs> this is going to be really interesting. This is going to play really interesting here in a second. Ten year old technology, we'll say that. Now it's been improved, enhanced, refined, yeah. but we'll call it ten year old technology because this conversation came up with a VC. Um, <laughs> so. We, we've had three conversations. The first conversation, the company was fam familiar with Easy Robot, and there had been conversations with the previous CEO about the possibility of investing. So they had a preconceived notion, and there was like, okay, well, tell me about this, tell me about this. It was, it was, it was more of a question and answer session as opposed to a pitch. Now, the company, the way we are managing the company and what the opportunity is, is very different from what it used mm -hmm. to be. But they were coming in it from a preconceived notion perspective. So we answered the questions, and I'm not sure that there's going to be a long-term mesh there because, it, it, again, we're, we, don't fit the, we don't fit their bucket beautifully. I, I, think, I think we could, but they would need to have, they would need to pre, put aside their preconceived notions to understand a lot of the information that didn't come out in that presentation because of the style of conversation that it was. So that's, that's meeting number one. Meeting number two uh, was scheduled for 30 minutes, lasted an hour 47, went very well, um, and there's, you know, they've, they've talked to us about a second meeting. So that's a real, good, a real good first step, long ways between here and the finish line, but they understood our, our vision, our you know, social impact, our business model. So, you know, we, talked, we talked very transparently about what the warts are and um, so we had a very clean, very good conversation, but I, I think that that looks promising. We'll see where it goes. Um, third conversation, this was the interesting one. Um, you know, the reality is I didn't do a great job on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I like the honesty. I like the honesty. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I hate to say that, but, you know, we have, to be, we have to be pragmatic about it. And I don't think I did a bad job on the pitch, but I got... I got derailed by the way the conversation started. And so what happened was the person said, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me about your journey. And so I started talking about the journey. And as I was doing that, a lot of preconceived notions got filled in, right? So I'm like, oh, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been working with this product for 10 years. And now in my mind, work with this product for 10 years, it's established, it's got customers, uh, good, you know, good, market validation and in his mind 10-year-old technology wow that sounds really terrible why would i want to invest in a tech company that's got tech that's 10 years old and, and so that type of a thing it, it, and there was you know as the conversation progressed and we were talking about things some 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 flags went up that i don't think you know in my mind were misunderstandings but once the flag goes up, you have that challenge of trying to put the flag down, which is way harder. <laughs> than if it never went and, up in the first place, yeah, absolutely. Right, and, and, and we've got good, you know, good, good um, you know, point, counterpoint. We've got good commentary on all aspects of it because we've been very thorough with the process. But the flag still went up, so it's a challenge. Now you're trying to, now you're starting below ground zero, right? And you've got to work your way back up to zero and, and go from there. But... What, what I noticed there was because the conversation was, hey, tell me about yourself and your journey, I started, I started leading with information that 
was not the most important information. Hmm. And so what ended up happening in that is I'm, I'm revealing information that if it comes out later in the conversation, that's okay because they've they, bought into and the they vision. Have context. They've bought, mm. right. And, and, and so that, you know, the information of what the company is, it is what it is, right? So we don't need to, we're not hiding anything. All that information is going to come out, but it's really a question of sequencing. And in that particular meeting, it came out early. And I, I think the, the vision and impact and opportunity took a back seat to some of the details and the vision and impact and opportunity needs to come first. So that's where I say I did a bad job. You know, we, we talked about most of the things. He still invited me to, you know, say, hey, send some more information along. So we still got through that initial conversation, but I didn't get through it with a, with a holy cow. Right. Oh, and, but I love the lesson. You know, the I, information really should produce a holy cow. Yeah, I love the I love the lesson about the storytelling and the order of events. And <clears throat> my business partner always likes like the hierarchy of information, like what's first and what's second versus what's eighth. And if what's eighth comes first, it's confusion, it's questions, it's like there's a build. And it, it's interesting. I love the discipline of where, you know, someone just asks you what perceive what would sound as a very innocent question, <laughs> but it kind of derailed the the order of events and the you know, a proper story. You know, we're not all Quentin Tarantino. We can't start with the end and then go to the beginning and then go to the middle and mix it up. It takes a lot of skill to tell a story that way. I'm just like, and now I'm dating myself. Yeah. If we all watch Tarantino movies. We're like, what, what did I just see? Did this already happen? But I, I really appreciate that as you're going out there learning and getting comfortable and, and like, you know, when's the kind of joke, what's my best pitch? Well, hopefully my next one, right? You're always getting better and you're always learning it. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. I think it was yeah. uh, David Ogilvie and Mark. What's your best uh, campaign? Well, my next one, you know, because I, I don't live in the past. I'm always learning. I'm always making the next thing better. But the, the, the yeah. discipline it takes around coming up with a story, telling it, and just and completely and constantly refining it. I appreciate your honesty on that. Yeah, we, you and I could chat for days, but I do want to kind of pull this together a little bit. And I always ask this question. Doesn't It feels like I'm kind of throwing it in here at the end, but I have to ask it because I love it. Magic wand question. You're out there. You're building your business. You're, you're in Alberta. And if it wants to be a magic wand and you, that you use in Alberta, that's fine. But even just being in the journey that you're on, where you're at with your, with your company and with the raise and with the goal of build... I give you the magic wand. What, what would you change? Things you would remove? Things you would add more of? What, what would you do with your magic wand besides raise more money? Can't, that, that, that can't be an answer. <laughs> Makes money faster. More, it's more of a systemic question, I guess. I'll, I'll put some, I'm getting a lot, of, a lot of criteria on this magic wand all of a sudden. <laughs> what would you do with your magic wand? It's, not that, stop. it's not that magic. I know, I know. I just killed it. I just magic. totally killed it. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> that's, that's, a really, that's a really great question. Um, you know, the... I'm going to assume the magic wand can't get rid of COVID, right? So if, because if the magic wand got rid of COVID, we're not having this conversation. We're talking about how we've transformed a million kids' lives around the world. Good answer though. I, I, I appreciate that answer. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the, but the, you know, over the last, over the last year, I think, I think mostly things have gone according to what we would, how we would expect them to go. Right. You know, um, it's always when you're when you're a CEO of a small company, you're always again you're trading A for B, right? I could put more time into capital raising. I'm not going to have as many sales, right? And so you're always you're always balancing thing things. And I think that we've done a reasonable job of balancing company survival and growth and preparation for the next stages. And you know, I guess you know, obviously the magic wand is. I would have answered that previous question about tell me your journey. It would have been it would have been a real concise. Here's Dennis's journey, onto onto the flow I want to give you, right? But that 
that's a that's a one-off. You you learn from the things that you don't do optimally, and you move forward. And and there's still an opportunity there. The door wasn't closed on us, so it's I I think good. But I've got I've got more meetings with edtech VCs coming up and social impact VCs and angels, and so my expectation is that things will go pretty well. So my my magic wand is, you know. A, a, Given the fact that COVID happened and schools shut down, and you know um, the circumstances that were there, uh, I, I guess with my magic wand, I've got a couple of social impact VCs contacting me, um, and or or tech VCs that are contacting me, but that are going to give me, you know, that good five to ten minute pitch at the beginning or fifteen minute pitch to explain why this is important and, and why this is a strong tech company. Right, you know, and, and or or just VCs that are looking in general, but it's that that's my magic wand, I guess. Is we get a couple of great conversations because when people hear what we're doing, impact is undeniable. Product advantage in the world is undeniable, right? The the marketing opportunity and the sales the sales process we have is undeniable. As a reseller before becoming the CEO, I went almost two years without losing a sale to the top two companies in this marketplace in the world. And to go two years in that, we know that we've got the right sales process, right product, everything. So we've got things lined up nicely. Now we just need to not have schools closed <laughs> due to a due to a pandemic, yeah, yeah. and then we'll be okay. When, you tar- when your target customer great. has to close their business and has their whole world flipped on its head, uh, let's do something new isn't usually what's on their mind. <laughs> Let, let's <laughs> let's survive and thrive is it, for sure. Dennis, thanks very much yeah. for coming back on the show and just being honest and being candid about your journey, which I really appreciate. It makes for the best content. Uh, easy-robot.com, but you are, yeah, you guys have done a great job on Google and, and kind of getting out there, uh, you know, for a ubiquitous term, like this could be, you've done really well of kind of getting that placement, which tells the story of kind of, because again, what is that? That shows relevance and shows that you are the best answer for that search query, which to me goes a long way in the world of marketing and not easy to get what everyone's competing for. But um, um, equivesto.com, but obviously if somebody wants to either chat with you or invest more, do you say, would you recommend them easy robot and chat with you? Makes sense, or could they just go right directly to Equivesto and check it out there, or both? Yeah, so the, I mean, they can certainly go to Equivesto and take a look at what's there. We've got a six-minute summary video on why this is a great opportunity. Minimum investments a thousand for people that are looking to invest in their RRSP or TFSA. Um, the minimum investment is twenty five hundred, right. but but still comparatively low numbers, right? So that allows. Yeah, I like the crowd the crowdfunding I, the crowdfunding aspect and yeah. immediately implies accessibility. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, people that are people that are interested in more information, they can reach out to me through the website. Hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm not too difficult to find. Um, I'm happy to chat with people. I love to talk about the changes that is coming or that are coming and what we need to do to prepare for them. And then obviously how we are addressing that challenge. So, yeah, people can hit up, hit me up. I'm, I'm happy to chat. Amazing. And I always enjoy chatting with you, your, your passion and knowledge. One thing I will comment on and just to give you kind of a high five around it. I've had a lot of VCs come on and say, you know, listen, we need to democratize this. We need to create more access. And obviously the government has regulations in place to protect people from what they don't know and getting hustled and all that. But there's a degree of the way you approach that, that really, I would say, democratized uh, the ability to invest and participate in what oftentimes the average investor doesn't, they get ruled out immediately because they're not, you know, you use the term accredited investor, which has a few points to it. But unless you're in the game and playing with a significant piece of capital, you often don't get to participate in these types of opportunities. With the crowdfunding and the way you've done that, 
you really made it accessible to everybody. And again, thousand or twenty five hundred can that can be a real number to someone, but it's a lot more accessible than fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or a million bucks. So kudos to you guys on that. I think that I, I love that you've done it that way and you allow people to play in something that they're passionate about. And that's huge. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tyler. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Dennis. Always, always a good time. And I look forward to uh, staying updated and keeping my audience informed on your journey. Mm -hmm.